Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Heavenly Father, we still our hearts and focus our minds now to give attention to your word. And I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you would have to Pray that you would be with me as I preach, that it would be in accordance with your will, accordance with your word, and to the praise of your glory. All these things I pray in your name. Amen. So many of you know that we recently went through a search for an operations manager here at the church, and by God's grace, he sent Jared Gilmore to us, and it's been great having him on staff. But in that process, I, uh, I had the opportunity to read a lot of resumes. And, and reading resumes is kind of an entertaining and, and, and interesting thing to do. You get lots of interesting snapshots into people's lives. And, but but it's, it's not kind of their whole life, right? Because it's definitely one of those things where they are putting their best foot forward and trying to represent themselves in a particular way. It's kind of like a dating profile. Right, but, but in dating profiles, it's all about things like your likes and your dislikes and what are your hobbies and, and what are your character attributes, right? Resumes are a little different. Resumes are a lot about your associations, right? What school did you go to? What companies have you been a part of? What people do you know that now can serve as a reference for you? Right, there's this this association aspect of it. I also think it's amusing on resumes how the, the, the format now is that when you describe your associations, you're supposed to use action words, right? You're supposed to start every sentence with some sort of action word demonstrating that you are a person of action, right? So you get things like served critical clients or executed strategic plans. And this is honestly one of the most amusing parts of resumes is trying to to watch people try and figure out how to take what they did and, and come up with action words to describe that. One of my favorites was someone described themselves as, as surging something. I think they surge customer performance. I was like, I don't think I've ever heard that word used that way. But, but the point is, the whole game with a resume is it's this idea that I am a better candidate because I have been associated with these particular schools and these particular people and these particular companies. And more than that, those companies, those people, and those schools have been better off because they were associated with me, right? That is the whole game of a resume. Now, I bring this up because an association is going to be an important part of what we're looking at today in 2 Timothy. So last week, we looked at 2 Timothy verses 1 through 7, where we have Paul's introduction to this letter he's writing to someone he has been a mentor of. And we saw him remind Timothy about the history of his faith that has come through his grandmother and his mother. We've seen this encouragement for him to fan into flame the gift that he has. And we saw this calling and this, this remembrance to not have a spirit of fear, but having a spirit of power and love and of self-control. 
And at the time, maybe we were asking the question, why is he asking Timothy to not be afraid? Why is fear coming up? Well, that is setting up for what Timothy is getting ready to ask of, or what Paul is getting ready to ask of Timothy. Because Paul is about to ask Timothy, I want you to be willing to be associated with the gospel. And I want you to be willing to be associated with me even though the world is going to look at that and not approve. In other words, I want you to be willing to put something on your resume that you are associated with the gospel and that you are associated with me even though people are not going to look at that and think that you are a better candidate because you are associated with those things. So with that in mind, um, I want to read our text for today. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 18. It says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul starts here by telling Timothy to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So I want to start by talking about what is this testimony he's talking about. Well, it's in many ways what you would expect. It's the idea of like the testimony a witness would give in a court case. When, when Paul was going about proclaiming the gospel, he was bearing witness to something. He was bearing witness to who Jesus was, his life, his death, his resurrection, and then what that meant in terms of, of salvation, right? It wasn't just religious concepts or philosophical ideas. He was bearing witness. He was giving testimony about a historic event of something that had happened, something that the other apostles had seen, and then later he saw on the road to Damascus. And this is, I think, what is significant for us, what it means to be a witness, right? We now are ones who have received this witness through the scriptures of who Jesus was, what his life, death, and resurrection meant, that this was a historical reality, and this is the way that we are to be saved. And so this is the testimony that he's talking about that he wants Timothy to not be ashamed of. 
But you also notice he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony, nor be ashamed of me. Well, why, why would he be ashamed of Paul? Well, remember we talked about last week, Paul's in prison right now. Imagine someone who you had looked up to, someone who was your mentor, now writing you from prison. There would be a, maybe a little bit of a, a desire, maybe like, I'm not so sure about this, right? And he's saying, don't be ashamed of me. Why? Why is Paul in prison? Because Paul's in prison because of the testimony he gave. That's why he's there. So if you are ashamed of Paul, then you must also be ashamed of his message. Now, let's talk about what does it mean to be ashamed? Because in the West, when we talk about shame, we typically think of it in two ways. One is kind of a sense of embarrassment. And another one is, I regret something that I did, right? I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that I did something. I don't think that's quite what he's talking about here. I think it maybe is closer to what you see in kind of more Eastern cultures in terms of honor and shame, where shame has to do with your public standing, how you're viewed. There's a lot more of a, a relational aspect of it, kind of the opposite of, of honor. And he's saying, don't be ashamed of me or the testimony. Now, I think here in the West, we actually do have a little bit of a sense of what this is like. And you see it most commonly. Um, I mean, I want you to think back to the last time in the news, it probably wasn't that long ago, that you saw a politician or a celebrity do something particularly heinous. Right? And there's this, this suddenly this distancing that everyone does from that person, right? Suddenly, all of the people who were their supporters kind of scatter they no longer want to be associated with that person because of what that person did. And I think that gets it. What does it mean to be ashamed? It's about, am I willing to be associated with that person anymore? And, and when you see politicians or celebrities do this, you see they're, kind of people do it in two ways. One is they either distance themselves by suddenly going radio silent. Right? They try and just fly under the radar and hope that everyone forgets that they were ever associated with that person. The other way they do it is they go on the offensive, right? And they go on the news and they start talking about how bad that other person is and how, yes, when they were associated with them, all the things that was good about that person, well, that's why I liked them, but this was a bridge too far and that's not me, right? Like there's very active ways that you distance yourselves from someone that you're ashamed of. And so that's what I think he's getting here. It's, it's, it's association. Paul is telling Timothy here, look, I want you to be willing to associate with the gospel. I want you to be willing to associate with me. And later on in verses 15 through 18, he's actually going to give some examples of what this looks like. He mentions two men, Vigelis and Hermogenes. And yes, I know that's how... That's said, because you saw how fast and confident that was. If I say it different later, that'll be correct too. <laughs> but he, he talks about these two men, and he says, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are these two men. This is what it looks like to be ashamed. These two men, when Paul was in prison, along with evidently many others, scattered. They either flew under the radar or they were actively saying, no, I am not with him. But then he points to someone else that is a representative of what it looks like to not be ashamed, this person, Onesiphorus, who he says, 
often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Notice how active it looks like when you are not ashamed, right? Onesiphorus not only was not ashamed, but he went looking for Paul. It took a while to find him. Paul was in prison. And once he got there, he was actively supporting Paul, willing to associate with him and therefore also being willing to associate with his message. This is two example Paul gives. This is what it looks like to be ashamed. This is what it looks like to be not ashamed. And he's saying to Timothy, I want you to be willing to associate with the gospel and associate with me. Now, for us, I'm guessing a majority of us are not wholly ashamed of the gospel. I mean, for one thing, you're here, right? You're here on a Sunday morning, which means you must be somewhat okay with being associated with the gospel. But I guess my question for the morning is, is that true of every context you're in? Because my guess is that there are contexts where it's harder to be associated with the gospel. Um, I thought I would share one that's for me. This was something that, honestly, the Lord convicted me on as I was preparing this message this week. So uh, many of you know that I uh, love board games. And there is a game store here in Houston that I go to relatively frequently. And I'm often there playing with people for, for hours. And it is one of the places in my life where I have the opportunity to interact with a lot of people who do not know Jesus. And if I were to be honest, I have acted ashamed of the gospel in that context. Now, it's not to say that I, like, deny Jesus or anything like that. But I have made very little effort to associate myself with the gospel in that context. And I have all of the normal excuses, right? Well, now's maybe not the right time. They probably won't care one way or the other. I'm just here to relax. Or how about this one? What I'll do, I'll pray for the right opportunity. <laughs> now let's be clear, that's a good thing to do, right? It is a good prayer to pray Lord, please give me opportunities to be a witness. That's a good thing to pray. But if I were to be honest about the state of my heart, the reality is I am trying to fly under the radar. And I would be quite okay if those opportunities didn't present themselves. And in doing so, I'm actually acting ashamed of the gospel. And I needed to hear the words of Paul to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And look for ways that I can be actively associating myself with the gospel in that context. And I guess I would pose that same question to you as you kind of look across the spectrum of your life. Do you have those places? Places where, yeah, okay, I'm not actively denying Jesus, but maybe I'm just like trying to stay below the radar. I don't really want to be actively associated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's talk about why that is. Why is it that we are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? I think the reason is in the second half of verse 8, at least part of the reason. 
He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I think what makes us be ashamed is the reality that in a particular context, if we are associated with the gospel, there is the possibility of some kind of suffering. Because sometimes association with the gospel can result in that. In Paul's day, and I would say all the way to today, that suffering can be on the spectrum from kind of mild social ostracization all the way in Paul's day to imprisonment and even martyrdom, as Paul would eventually face. I mean, remember, Paul is writing this to Timothy from prison. He talks about in verse 12, he says, uh, first, I'll start in verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Right? He was very, very public in associating himself with the gospel and, and proclaiming it. And because of that, he became a lightning rod for a whole lot of suffering and a whole lot of persecution in his day. And now he's saying to Timothy, hey, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to not be ashamed of me and not be ashamed of the gospel, but instead share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So, I mean, just some real talk. We've talked a lot already. You probably maybe are getting tired of hearing gospel proclamation, gospel proclamation. We want to be doing that as a church, right? But that looks really good on paper. But the reality is, is one of the first steps of what it's going to look like for us as a church to be doing gospel proclamation is that we collectively are willing to be more publicly associated with the gospel, which may invite additional suffering in our life. That's what it's going to look like. Now, it's not a guarantee, but it's a possibility. And so when you hear us say gospel proclamation, are we talking about being more public and possibly that bringing harder times? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. And that's what Paul says here. I want you to join in sharing in the suffering for the gospel. But he says, do that by the power of God. This is not something we accomplish of our own volition. This is something that we are going to need God's help to do well. So how did Paul stay courageous? He gives us a little bit here. He says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. Why? One, for I know whom I have believed. Earlier in this text, he had, he had talked to Timothy about, just a reminder, this is what God did through Jesus. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Right? Paul, again, his testimony is not just about being about religious concepts or philosophical ideas. He has come into relationship with the living God. He has experienced everything that he talks to here with Timothy about the way God has gone about saving him, not just him, but all those who are receiving the gospel. And so, when he's looking for courage, one of the things he do, does is he looks at the God he serves and he says, I know him. I know who I have believed in. 
And that gives him courage when facing suffering as he goes about doing gospel proclamation. Second, he says this, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Well, what was entrusted to Paul by God? I think in the context, two things. He was entrusted with the gospel and he was entrusted with a calling. And he knows, he says, I know God is able to guard that until that day. And when Paul says that day, he means like that, that day. That day when he is going to stand before the Lord, when all things are going to come to its fullness. He says, God is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. He knows that what is most important to him is completely safe. What he cares about the most in terms of the things that he'd been entrusted to him with the gospel and the calling, those things are safe because God is guarding them. And there is nothing that the Romans or the Jews or the Gentiles or anybody is going to do that is going to somehow separate him from that. It's safe. So behind Paul's confidence, behind his, his courage, is what he values. Right? To use one of the parables of Jesus, for Paul, Jesus was that treasure of great price that a man finds in a field and he goes and he, he digs it up and sees that it's worth so much and then he buries it and he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy that field and have that treasure. Jesus was that treasure for Paul. It was what he valued, and so he knew that was safe, and that gave him courage. Now, in this last part, he, he encourages Timothy to follow suit. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So he says here, follow in the sound, the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. You see, Timothy had received from Paul the testimony about the gospel. He had also received from Paul teaching about what does the pattern of life look like for someone who is a faithful Christian? What does the pattern of life look like for someone who is willing to associate with the gospel? And he's saying, follow in that pattern. And now we also have that pattern, right? That pattern has come to us. That pattern has come to us through the scriptures. And this is something we're going to be exploring because this is a thread that is going to run through 2 Timothy is the role of the word of God, the role of the words and the teaching and the importance of holding fast to that. And he says to Timothy, hold fast to that pattern of words. And then he says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Again, there's that language of something has been entrusted that needs guarding. And it's interesting here that he says, you need to guard it. Right? There's an active role that Timothy has in taking the things that has been entrusted to him and guarding those things. He's basically saying, don't shriek away from these things that have been given to you. 
But he also, it's important, says, guard the good deposit by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he has just talked about how he's sure that God is going to guard until that day what has been entrusted to him. And so when he tells Timothy, yes, you have an active role in guarding the things that have been entrusted to you, but you do that by the Holy Spirit because you are not going to be able to do it on your own. You need to have that same confidence I had that God is able to guard it until that day. I say this because if you're like me and you have those places in your life where you look and you go, you know what? I have not been associated with the gospel in this context. I have been willing to fly under the radar. And maybe that's because there's fear there. There's fear of what the consequences might be, big or small. So what does it look like for us to follow the pattern of sound words that we're receiving here from Paul and to guard that good deposit. Well, I think the place we start is we have to seek the Holy Spirit because remember going back to verse seven, what did he say to him? He said, we do not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And we talked about last week that we have that because the Holy Spirit is working in us. So when we recognize that there are those places of, hey, I'm not associating with the gospel in the way I need to, where we start is by pursuing the Holy Spirit to give us that spirit of power and love and of self-control. So I think there is a, a twofold call that comes to us from this passage. The first is this. Don't be ashamed. Be willing to publicly associate yourself with the gospel. Right? Now that can take a lot of different forms. And that doesn't mean that we don't do that with wisdom. But if you're like me, you may recognize that there's a place where if you were to be honest with yourself, you're pretty content just flying under the radar. So be willing to associate yourself with the gospel. And second, to seek out a pattern of life from God's word. And being willing to enter into that pattern, whether it leads to suffering or not. So I'd like to pray now uh, for the Holy Spirit to empower us and grow us in these two things as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Johnny talked earlier about how wonderful the salvation is that we have received. And yet, Lord, um, I confess in my own life, and, and we confess, God, that there are places where we walk ashamed, where it is hard for us to be willing to publicly associate with the gospel, sometimes for really trivial reasons. So, Lord, I pray that you would take away any spirit of fear. I pray that you would fill us with a spirit of power and love and self-control, that we can step back into those places and find ways to publicly associate ourselves with you. And that from that, many would begin to see you perhaps for the first time. And Lord, you have given us a pattern of life. I pray, God, that you'll make us diligent to seek out your word in the midst of that, that you will give us boldness through your spirit to live into that pattern, to desire that pattern. 
All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.